Neith uh, started us off last week with the idea that uh, Jesus is fully God, he's Emmanuel, God with us. Tonight I'm focusing on Jesus being fully man. Um, and we're going to look at how Jesus being fully man, uh, how he became fully man at Christmas time. It's the gospel, essentially. It's the gospel, and it gives us relation, it gives us victory, and it gives us mission. A uh, young lady was uh, doing Sunday school leading up towards Christmas, and she got all the Sunday school class to do the craft that morning was to draw the nativity scene. And um, she walked around at the table. The kids were getting stuck into their work, into their craft. And she came across, across this little fella um, who was doing a good job. She had a look at his work. He was drawing it out and then colouring it in. He had all the right aspects to it. He had uh, Mary and Joseph, baby Jesus, of course, stable, a bit like what you're seeing here. And, um, but one thing she did notice is that next to Mary was this enormously fat guy. And she said to him, he said, you're doing a good job here, but I've got to ask you, who's this fat guy standing, standing next to Mary? And he looked up from his work and he said, Miss, that's round John Virgin. You know, round John Virgin, mother and child. See, it might be strange to say this, but Christmas is actually the worst time to be thinking about Christmas. To be thinking about what Christmas really means. When we're surrounded by Christmas carol cliches and materialistic things, we forget the reason for the season, don't we? In the chaos of the holidays, it's easy to get our Christmas story completely wrong like that little fella did because we didn't have much, much guidance and been explained what it means. And we miss at Christmas time some massive redemptive truths of Christmas. And Christmas carols are some of the most common ways to get our facts wrong. Uh, it doesn't help when uh, every carol night the church that I grew up in, I used to sit next to Annie Mary because I loved Annie Mary. She used to babysit me and she used to sing things like, uh, while shepherds wash their socks by night. Or um, Colin Buchanan, I could, never, I could never take this hymn, this carol seriously ever again. We three kings of Orient are selling grandpa's underwear. So fantastic, no elastic, 20 cents a pair. <laughs> I thought I'd bless you because you guys can't sing. You get another voice of singing. You see, the words being wrong make it even harder to get the doctrine right, is it, doesn't it? Let alone the fact that those, that hymn that I just sung, that I made fun of, they weren't kings, they were magi, they were astrologers from the east. There most likely weren't three of them, there was probably more. And they weren't at the nativity scene. They came to Jesus when he was a toddler. In the wonder of Christmas and presents and Satan, I mean Santa, I got my letters mixed up, sorry. <laughs> Pretty easy to do, same thing. In the excitement of Christmas, unfortunately, as a kid, we get most of our Christmas doctrine when we're, kid, when we're a kid, when we don't truly understand it. And that doctrine stays with us into adulthood. And when it comes to Christmas time, we hear these wonderful Christmas truths and we switch off because I, I know all this. I learned it as a kid. 
and we get most of our doctrine from carols and nativity scenes. One more. There was a, a fella giving a talk to some kids, and he was talking about angels. And he said, there's, there's lots of angels mentioned in the Bible, only three of them are named. There's uh, Gabriel, and there's Michael, and there's Lucifer, and he's a fallen angel. And this little kid shot up his hand. He said, excuse me, sir, there is another angel we know that has a name. In fact, I think a lot of angels have this name. And he said, the teacher was like, well, what name is that? And the little fella goes, Harold. Hark the Harold angels sing. <laughs> we're going to be focusing on that carol tonight. And what we're going to do is we're going to return to Christmas and take a refreshing look at it. Um, when I first heard we're doing Christmas in July, I was like, hmm, cool. But as I've looked into the subject of Christmas, I actually love that we're doing this because, as I said, we get our Christmas doctrine at Christmas, usually when we're kids, and we carry it for the most of our lives. And what, we, what happens in our minds is we associate Christmas not with this wonderful gospel message, we associate Christmas with Western affluence. We associate Christmas with a comfortable home, a happy family, turkey, eggnog, pudding, tinsel, and presents. And tonight we're going to be focusing on that carol. We're going to look at the beauty of the incarnation, that God became man. And I don't mean to bag carols, but have a bit of fun paying them out, because some of these carols are just pure gospel. They, they write gospel way better than we could ever express ourselves. Just think about some of the words from this song. Offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, hark the herald angels sing. What we're looking at tonight is the wonder of those words, how God became man and that Jesus is fully man while still being fully God. Jesus was fully man. Now, what we're going to do first, I'm going to lay it out for you. We're going to, do, we're going to prove that Jesus was fully man. We're going to see how Jesus being fully man is amazing. And we're going to see how Jesus being fully man matters to us, how it affects us. Now, I'm just going to spend 10 minutes talk, proving that Jesus was fully man. And I'm going to be gracious with your time and with your minds, and I'm going to try and rush through it a little bit. I want to get it out there because I know that for some of you, this is just going to, as it would happen to me. So I might race through it a little bit and you might think, oh, geez, Tony, you kind of danced around some pretty hot topics there. I welcome you to talk to me afterwards. There's a lot of helpful videos that I watched this week to help try and explain this truth. Um, don't be shy. If, this, if you're passionate about this, come and speak to me afterwards. But first of all, I'm going to race through it, so engage with me. Um, let's help each other. Jesus is fully man. <clears throat> At Christmas, Jesus became fully man. Now, you might say, why does that need to be proven? Why does it need to be proven that Jesus is fully man? Even the greatest skeptics of Jesus would say that he existed as a man. But it's harder to grasp the fact and prove that Jesus is fully man when we say, at the same time, he was fully God. The fact 
that Jesus is fully God is what Vanith covered for us last week. And this week our focus is that at Christmas, God became man while still remaining as God. Now, as I said, the sad thing is our culture doesn't find it hard to believe that Jesus was a man because our culture is focused on the natural. It's not focused on the supernatural and the spiritual. We believe in the natural, physical realm. The harder thing for our culture to grasp is that Jesus is God. But much of the New Testament spends time proving that Jesus was, in fact, a man because in the culture back then, 2,000 years ago, it was not a crazy thing to believe that Jesus was God. They did not argue that fact. What some, people, <coughs> what some people did in the early church is that they'd argue that uh, maybe Jesus wasn't actually a complete human being. Maybe he was just a spirit floated around. Maybe he wasn't fully God and fully God, fully God and fully man all of the time. Maybe he was half and half. Maybe he was a man, and then some time during his life, he received enlightenment and he became a God. Because there's no way that Jesus was fully man and fully God simultaneously. Because to many people in the early church, there is no way that a holy, righteous God could dwell with sinful men. And that's what incarnation means. Hail the incarnate deity, as was sung before. Incarnation means incarnate. Carnal means physical, worldly. It's an, it's an inconceivable thought for the early church to imagine that a holy God, a spiritual holy God, dwelt with physical deadness, worldliness. And I only found this out recently, some of you may know this already, but Muslims don't hate Jesus. They actually believe Jesus was a great guy, a prophet of God, and that he, he was martyred, he performed miracles. But the thing to what makes Jesus blasphemous to Muslims is that they cannot, it is blasphemous to say that a holy, righteous God, perfect God, would dwell as a, in sinful, with the sinful, disgusting human beings. And some of the early church believed that too, that Jesus was not fully God and fully man, man simultaneously. And the Apostle John was one of the biggest uh, advocates that Jesus was fully man. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What John is saying is that Jesus, yes, the Word, Jesus, the Word, was God. He was in the beginning. He was pre-existent. He was eternal. He is God. But the Word, Jesus, became flesh, became creation. And John spends the rest of the gospel proving that Jesus was God. But he was also a man that ate, that slept, that got tired, that was emotional. And the letter of 1 John, if you, if you understand what John is writing to, he's uh, writing against people who were saying that Jesus was just some sort of spirit, you know, the second generation of Christians. And John was now an elder and he remembered being with Jesus. And he said, we who are witnesses who have actually touched him. And what he's saying is like, how dare you? 
How dare you say that Jesus was not fully a man? I touched him. I spoke to him face to face. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. And this is a beautiful, they call it the Christ hymn. It's saying, yes, he is God. He is, ama- he is seated on high. He is in control. He is king. He is reigning over all. But in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And equally, even though Jesus was God, equally, as we read from our passages tonight, he was a man, tempted, suffered. He had emotions. Jesus was fully man and he was a physical man who could physically feel the nails in his hands as he went to the cross. And some members of the early church got this wrong sometimes And they were thinking about this and debating this all the time. So what hope do we have to get it right? You know, we can say things with our mouth, like, yeah, Jesus is God and man, fully God and fully man, but we never really stop and ponder and grasp that. And at Christmas time, we think about this thought that Jesus came down from heaven to earth, but we forget the fact that Jesus, at Christmas, coming down, to, coming down to earth, he took on humanity. And even in our focus carol tonight, there's a line in it that I'm just not quite too sure about. The line that says, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. What it's kind of inferring, I feel like, it's not worded the best, I feel like it's kind of inferring God's, like, he came down from heaven and he's been wrapped in flesh and he's... A man, but on the inside he's God, somewhere deep inside him, and he's covered in flesh. And I think it's that sort of thinking where some people in the church today would see God as, they see Jesus as the God-man, you know, Clark Kent one minute, Superman the next, or Son of Man one minute, Son of God the next, and God-man, out comes the deity, out comes the divinity. And that's why... At Christmas, some carols can be quite misleading about the humanity of Jesus. Stick with me here. I'm nearly finished this proving part, this apologetic part. Some Christmas carols mislead us about the humanity of Jesus. Think about Away in a Manger. Away in a Manger, no crib for a bed, little Lord Jesus, lay down his sweet head, Um, no crying he makes. Sorry, Martin Luther, I don't think that's correct. Or silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Think about the story of Christmas and Mary and Joseph. They were sent to the stable because the inn was full and the inn was full because of the census happening in Bethlehem. And so Bethlehem was bustling and busy. That inn was full because people were visiting all of those people's Animals were in that stable. It wasn't silent in Bethlehem. And has anyone ever experienced a birth? How noisy is a birth? In fact, if there's not noise, there's something wrong. When Judah was born, when Judah came out, he just did this little... That's all he did. An hour and a half later, he stopped breathing because he didn't cry. He didn't clear his lungs. By God's grace, he was 
resuscitated and he's here with us now. But my point is, Jesus didn't, I feel like the Christmas carols sort of betray it as Jesus came out of Mary like, well, I'm here now. In my humility, I came down to earth and so it begins. You know what happened when Jesus, when Mary pushed Jesus out after screaming her lungs out? Jesus screamed. He would have cried. In fact, if he didn't cry, he wouldn't have lived. You know why he screamed? Because he was scared. Because he was a human being. He came out screaming. And not only did Jesus, was he born fully man, he also grew as a man. Luke chapter 2 verse 52 says that Jesus, as a 12-year-old, it says that he grew in wisdom and stature and um, in favour with man. Not only did he grow physically because he was a physical human being, he also grew as a man. He grew to become self-aware of who he was. He grew in wisdom. He searched the scriptures. He grew in his faith. Hebrews 5.8, which is a really hard passage to grasp with, it says that Jesus learnt obedience through his suffering. Jesus was fully man. Jesus was fully man. Okay, your minds can relax a little bit now. Let's do a little bit more comforting stuff. Jesus was fully man. And what we're going to look at now is that is actually amazing. Jesus being fully man is actually amazing. As I said, it's a tragedy that this culture doesn't struggle to believe that Jesus was fully man. We more struggle to grasp and comprehend that he was God. But what we should be amazed of, we should be amazed of this truth because it is actually amazing. It's amazing for two reasons. There's two reasons why Jesus being fully man is amazing. Let me challenge you with something. Those of you who struggle to read God's Word, you've been struggling to get into it, struggling to read the Old Testament, feel like it's a bit dry, I'd encourage you to go home, pick up your Bible, and start again at Genesis. And uh, when Adam and Eve fail and they sin, and God casts them out of the garden as a part of their judgment, they're separated from him. What we hear in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is what they call the Proto-Evangelion. Proto-Evangelion. It's called the first mention of the gospel in the Bible. And that's where Jesus, where God says, God says to Adam and Eve, he says to Eve, out of the seed of the woman, an offspring will come and he will crush the serpent's head. He will crush evil's head. Now, when you read the Old Testament, what you're supposed to be doing, what you should be doing, is reading it through the lens of the original readers. Because the people who read the Old Testament originally, they didn't know God's end game. They didn't know what God was going to do. They didn't know his redemption plan. And so every single character that's introduced in the Old Testament, they're meant, you're meant to be going, is this the seed of the woman who's going to crush the serpent's head? Is this the seed of the woman who's going to crush the serpent's head? And through all the Old Testament, Abraham starts off okay, no. Moses starts off okay, no. David, Josiah, all of these characters, you're supposed to be asking, 
what's God going to do? The great mystery is being unfolded in God's world. God's word. How is he going to redeem mankind? Who's going to be that offspring of the woman, that seed of the woman, who's going to crush the serpent's head and defeat evil? And then we come to Isaiah and we hear this verse, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, there's another thing that the Christmas season does. It desensitizes the truth. It desensitizes the truth. Here's a truth that's glossed over every, every year. Virgins don't have babies. Virgins can't have babies. Offspring of a virgin's womb, as was sung tonight, is an oxymoron. The virgin conception is a miracle. The whole Old Testament, you're asking, who's it going to be? What's, gonna God, what's God going to do to save mankind? And the answer is, God's going to send himself, as Vineeth looked at last week. And he's going to do it through the virgin conception, because that way, the man would come through Mary, the seed of the woman, and he'd be fully man. But also, he'd be conceived of the Holy Spirit, so he'd be fully God. You see, it's actually amazing that Jesus is fully man. Because it reveals the mystery of God's redemption story. The virgin conception and Jesus being fully man, the incarnation, it's amazing because it reveals the mystery of God's redemptive story. The other reason that it's amazing that Jesus is fully man is look at what he left behind. Look at what he left behind. Look at what it meant for him. You see, I feel like Muslims are on the right track when they see it as inconceivable that a holy, righteous God would dwell with dirty, rotten humans. Because they're right. It's pretty inconceivable. And we should probably take on that wonder and that scepticism as well because it is an unbelievable thing. A holy, righteous, all-knowing, all-powerful, for whom and by whom all things were created pre-existent, pre-eminent, eternal, the great I am. That guy, that God, left the holiness and the righteousness of heaven to dwell in a broken, sinful earth as a man. He was surrounded by the brokenness that man had created. There's a quote up on the screen, I won't read it all, but It says, uh, the first and last couple lines, God came to be a man. The creator became his creation. He did not clutch or grasp his place of equality with the Father and all all that this brought to him in such a way that he would refuse the condensation and the humiliation of the servant role that he was willing to accept. He'd been called to accept. It's amazing that Jesus was fully man, when you think about what he left behind. You know what makes it even more amazing? That he did it for you. It's not just, it's amazing in itself that holy, righteous God became, came down and became fully man. What's even more amazing is he did it for you. And what's even more amazing, again, that he did it for you so that he could die for you. And 
even more amazing again, not just any death, as Philippians says, says, even death on a cross. He's up here. He came down to be a man for you to die on a cross. The most shameful and torturous death imaginable. He was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. 2 Corinthians 8-9. You know, the fact that Jesus became fully man is in essence the gospel. It is the gospel because he was up here, but he humbled himself to be down here and now he is exalted for what he has done, to, done for us. And for us to have a relationship with him, we need to stop thinking that I'm self-sufficient. I've got it all under control. I don't need a crutch. I don't need Jesus. I'll sort out my own salvation. Like Jesus, we have to humble ourselves and we have to say, Jesus, save me. You're my only hope. And then he will exalt us. Jesus becoming man is the gospel. This leads us to what does it mean for us that Jesus is fully man? What does it mean for us that Jesus is fully man? It means, firstly, that Jesus, Jesus becoming man is that God is a God that relates to us. As our Hebrews 4 passage tonight says, through Jesus becoming man, God is no longer some abstract God that is unattainable. Yes, he is unattainable, but he's not a God that looks down his nose at us and says, you'll never make it. He looks down at us and says, you'll never make it. Let me help you. He reaches down to us. He gets down in the dirt. He becomes relational to us. See, Jesus shared in the experiences of humans He's a great high priest that we can relate to. We, we often think about how, as we've been talking about, Jesus, God, became man. If that wasn't big enough, just take a minute. Let's just take a minute to ponder and think about the man that he became. You see, Jesus in heaven could have looked down and said, I, I don't want to be that person. I want to be this person. He could have come as anyone. He could have gone from the heavenly palaces of heaven and come to the earthly palaces. He could have chose to come down as a King Herod and been in control and still lived a life of luxury somewhat. But instead, Jesus chose to be born into obscurity so that he could relate to everyone. He wasn't born into an esteemed family. If you read Matthew chapter 1, read the genealogy of Jesus, all of his ancestors. You, take a th- you think about it. When you're writing your genealogy, especially back then, for one, you don't mention women because that means nothing to them back then. But most of all, you do not mention an adulterous woman like Bathsheba. You don't mention a prostitute like Rahab. You don't mention Tamar, who was sexually assaulted by her father-in-law. amidst all the other men who stuffed everything up, who, were, who, who failed at being that person that would crush the serpent's head. Jesus' family, his ancestors, they were a mess. Yes, he came from a kingly line to fulfil prophecy, 
but he came from a messy line. His family was messy. Jesus could have been chose to be born in the 21st century, where the survival rate of babies is close to 100%, where comfort for children is high. But instead, he chose to be born 2,000 years ago. If that wasn't hard enough, he was born in an animal shelter. He wasn't delivered by experienced midwives. He was delivered by a naive young man who knew nothing what he was doing. Mary probably delivered Jesus herself. He wasn't wrapped in warm cotton rug to keep him warm. He was wrapped in swaddling rags. Babies get cold. You can't wrap a baby in rags. He wasn't placed into a nice little bassinet. He was placed into a feeding trough. An unsanitary, dirty, smelly, cold, stable. Jesus' family wasn't wealthy. Joseph was probably just a lower middle class man, just, just above the peasant line. They were refugees. They had to flee to Egypt with no money. Jesus grew up in an obscure town. As Nathaniel says in John chapter 1, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, Jesus was probably subject, him and his family were subject to bullying most of his life. He came from an obscure little town. Go figure what they would have said. Did you know that uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, she claims that he was conceived through the Holy Spirit? <laughs> they would have lived with ridicule. Jesus was a, a blue-collar, hard-working carpenter. He was tempted in every way. He, and you know, We talk about Matthew 4, how he was tempted of the devil in all those different ways. That, that's a beautiful story, but we forget the fact Jesus continued to be tempted. He was surrounded by nincompoops. He had to, be, he had to keep his calm, keep his cool. Jesus experienced anguish for people. He experienced the death of loved ones. He experienced more deeply than we ever could the anguish of people rejecting him, choosing a life without him. He was betrayed by his friends and family and he was persecuted. Jesus being fully man is amazing, yes. That's amazing in itself. But what's even more amazing is that he chose to experience a life as a man that endured suffering. And he did that because he brings himself to our level. He wants to relate to every single one of us and every single one of our experiences. Anything that's happened to you has happened to him. He wanted to relate to us to be that great high priest. Jesus proves, Jesus being man proves that God is a relational God. Secondly, Jesus... Becoming fully man gives us victory. It gives us victory. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus partook of the same things of us. He experienced the temptations of the broken world. He was in and around the brokenness of this world, around the sin, around the destruction. He was surrounded by temptation and sin constantly, and he defeated it. By death on the cross, he defeated the, the power of sin. By resurrecting from the dead, he defeated the penalty of sin. By Jesus, by God becoming man, 
He was able to live the life that we couldn't live and die the death that we couldn't die. And in so doing, he destroyed the devil. He crushed the serpent's head. And he's given us victory and delivered us from slavery. I I wonder if, do you need to claim that victory tonight? Maybe you've been, the reason you've been struggling to find victory is because you didn't really ever click that Jesus lived the perfect life for you and died the death for you that you should have died. And maybe tonight you might realise, I don't have to keep trying my, on my own and failing all the time. The victory is won, the victory is won in Jesus because he took on humanity for me. But also, what Jesus being fully man means for us. What it means for us lastly, and this is probably the big one for me. This is the one that that hit me the most as I was preparing for this. Jesus being fully man puts us on manger mission. Puts us on manger mission. Look at at the passage in Philippians 2. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus when it comes to treating others that passage is talking about. What does this mean? Well, it means because Jesus humbled himself and came down to earth. He came down from the glories of heaven to be fully man. He did that for you. We as followers of Jesus should be living out that same mindset of humility. Jesus leaving heaven to be born as a man in a manger is in essence the gospel. So us leaving our position of pride and getting down into the manger is us living out the gospel. Now, what does manger mission look like? What does it look like? I'll explain briefly my testimony and how this applies to me. About four years ago, God very strangely and specifically called me to church planting. Now, if you know my background, you know how odd it is. I don't come from a background that is into church planting. And... I didn't know how that would play out until, uh, that's a whole other story. Joe and I got married, moved to the northeastern suburbs, come here, a church planting church, and that's why I'm here. God's called me to, uh, to City Reach to plant a church probably one day. At what capacity, I don't know. Now, I'm willing to do that and I want to do that. I'm excited to do that. But deep within my heart, I'm saying to God, God, don't send me to Hackham. Don't send me to Elizabeth. Don't send me to the, to the poor people, to the people that are so entitled and they, don't, they want help but they don't accept it and they're not thankful for it. And you know what's wrong with my heart? I'm, I don't have that humility that Paul tells us to put on the humility of Christ. How dare I? How dare I say to Jesus, don't send me to the dirt, don't send me to the manger, when he came from the glories of heaven to the dirt in the manger for me. What does manger mission look like? It looks like doing something uncomfortable. 
Jesus left the comfort of heaven, the advantages of being God, to take on the discomfort of humanity. And not just normal humanity, but experienced great suffering. And he did that because his focus was you. And you and I need to leave the comfort of our Western lives, the advantages and the privileges that we have, and give them up for God, for a God that loves us and for a humanity that he loves. So what does manger mission look like? Well, I was considering saying this, and then I thought maybe not. But then an issue arose throughout this week, so I thought I'm going to say it. Manger mission looks like there being no cliques in the church. A church that has main, is on manger mission will not have cliques. Because a clique is someone you're hanging out with who you feel comfortable with, who you feel secure with, who you want to be around. And I, hey, I'm talking to myself here. I'm guilty of this. But you just want to do what's comfortable. You want to hang out with the people that make you feel comfortable. And God's telling you, cross the room and talk to that person who seems lonely. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't dare consider yourself doing something so minutely uncomfortable. Jesus left heaven to get down in the dirt for us. And sometimes we struggle to leave our comfort of our friends and our comfort of security. Security, it's not even security sometimes. And we don't even want to talk to that person that needs God's love. Manger mission looks like what God has called us to do. You know, I don't want to say this catchy thing, manger mission, and leave it at that. I've had the experience of sitting where you are and a preacher took the liberty to speak a little bit more specifically, and it blessed me greatly. And so I'm going to do that now. That There's some of you in the room... God has called you to something specific. God has called you to reach out to someone. God has called you to something uncomfortable. And you're saying, no, God, please no. I'm not getting down in the dirt. I can't do that. I'm not capable. And I don't want to. You know, just anything but Nazareth, Lord. Anything but Hackham. Anything but Elizabeth. It's too unsanitary, it's too dirty, it's too smelly. Please no. And tonight, Jesus is saying to you, I got down in the dirt for you. Will you get down in the dirt for me? In humility, I went to the manger. So in humility, will you go to the manger for them? The Christmas message is not a culture that portrays it to be. Like, Western culture has ruined Christmas in a sense that we think that Christmas is about Happy Coles ads with turkey and presents. And Christmas has become a holiday that persecutes the lonely and the afraid and the broken, the outcasts of community. But the true message of Christmas is actually that it is for the broken and for the afraid, the outcasts of the community. Christmas is not about proclaiming Western affluence and success and materialism. Christmas is about God's kingdom come. And my challenge to me and my challenge to you is, are you going to proclaim that kingdom? That the holy God, 
holy, righteous God, came down into the dirt for us. Are you going to get down into the dirt and into the manger as well? I invite uh, Vanith to come up and Francis, whoever's going to close out this service. And I think it's really cool that it's not cool that we don't get to sing, but I think it's timely that we don't have to sing tonight because I think as Vanith and Francis sing for us, let the words of this song penetrate your heart and just ponder them. And maybe there's a few of you in the, night, in the room tonight, this may have spoken to you in different ways. Maybe the, for the first time the gospel sunk in, you never quite understood it. You thought the gospel was rules or you thought the gospel was works, but the gospel is Jesus came down from heaven, humbled himself for you. And you've got to stop thinking, I can do it, I can do it. And you've got to humble yourself tonight and ask Jesus to save you. Maybe tonight just resonates with you and you just want to be in a closer relationship with God. He made such an effort to be in relation with me. I need to commit my relationship to him. I want to be in a closer relationship with a God like that. Maybe you need victory. Because you've been reminded tonight that Jesus lived the life that you couldn't live and he died the death that you couldn't die. And maybe some of you tonight, you've been called to manger mission. You've been, there's something in your life that God has placed, given you a call, he's given you a conviction and you've been pushing it away because it just seems too hard. I can't do that, God. I'm not going to get in that down in the dirt. And God's challenging you, I did it for you, will you do it for me? And maybe if you want to come forward for prayer when the song is finished, there'll be people up the front to pray with you for whatever you need. Don't think that God's convicting me, does that mean I'm all of a sudden in full-time vocational ministry? It's not how it's going to happen. But you can come to the altar and just say, God, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to get into the dirt. I'm ready to take that victory. I'm willing to accept you as my saviour. Whatever it is, come forward. There'll be people here to pray for you. Come forward and pray. And as Hebrews said, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need.